It's the Auburn Observer Podcast. Justin Ferguson right here in Auburn, Alabama. Dan Peck also in Auburn, Alabama. The man with a golden voice. How are we doing on this on this fine day, Daniel? Yo. Wow, that's a new one. Like, is that going to be the new one? No, that was just a one. I figured we'd, we'd move things along, and I'd just say yeah. one word. But now there's a follow-up question, and my my plan has been foiled. Well, you're now you're now doing a thing where you're not you're not um, you're not giving the peck pack a shout should, out unless should, it's on the premium episodes. Should, should I have one thing I say every week in response to your introduction? Like, is that is it? No, what, I mean, I, should, I, what, I change it up every week. What do you think? Should I have one thing that I say in response to Justin's question at the beginning of the show? I like how you've been handling it, but if it's important to you to be consistent, then we can brainstorm that. Hello, Painter. Ah, uh, yes. That, that by the way, is another man with a golden voice on the ones and twos producing this fine audio program coming to you from an undisclosed location. Mr. Painter Sharpless, how are we doing, Painter? Do y'all ever pronounce a word uh, when we're recording and go, I've, I've never said that word like that. I feel like I just did that with holding. and uh, Holding? Yeah. If I, you... I, if if you listen if you listen closely to my question to Hugh Freeze on Saturday, I couldn't decide between calling Peyton Thorne the starting quarterback or the starter, and I think I landed on startering. I think I, I think I called him I think the I startering said, quarterback. I said, I said Hugh, you named you named Peyton the startering quarterback earlier this week, and uh, it's a question about Robbie anyway, which led to. Again, uh, in my work, uh, Justin, as the Steve Nash of the beat, uh, my uh, I, I think I've seen a lot of people running with the quotes about Robbie Ashford from oh, yeah. uh, fr- from from Hugh Freeze on Saturday, talking about how Robbie, you know, so, something that I've been openly skeptical about, Justin, but like, yeah, there, there's going to be Robbie Ashford if he continues to do all the right things, even mm-hmm. if even if Peyton Thorne is healthy and available and playing well. Robbie could come in to uh, supplement the run game as Hugh Freeze quarterbacks have done in the past and, and maybe maybe do more than that. The word was handling, not holding. I got the word wrong. Handling. Yeah, that can be tough. Handling, handling, handling. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's a, you said holding and I was just like, like you didn't the, say like that third string quarterback. Like <laughs> are we talk, talking about him. Well, folks, uh, we've got a lot to discuss because Dan and I uh, were at the uh, Hugh Freeze press conference after Auburn's scrimmage on Saturday, their second one of fall camp. Really, the the end point of fall camp. This week's going to be an interesting one because it's going to be kind of this hybrid preseason practice but game week kind of format as Auburn gets ready. We're less than two weeks away from U- UMass, the UMass game, the opener against UMass. We're recording this on Sunday afternoon. You will be hearing it on, on Monday morning. But um, Dan, I, I think for a for a once again the second straight scrimmage, we get a ton of information out of the head coach um, about what went down in the scrimmage, and it's not just you know oh yeah these guys played well or you know it's not vague. I mean it's 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 been a lot more it's been a lot more informative. I heard a veteran member of the beat say after the press conference on Saturday, he's like, I don't know. 
I don't know when the last time we got that much out of out of knowing what happened to a scrimmage that we didn't watch was. And and I would tend to agree. And that comes on the heels of obviously being able to see a lot of practice on, on Thursday this week. But Hugh Freeze, and he's mentioned this before, it's hard to be enthusiastic about a scrimmage because if one group excels, it was probably at the expense of someone else on your team. It's hard for everyone on a team when playing each other to look great. So when Hugh Freeze talks about, for example, the run game uh, be, being a, a positive from Saturday, he acknowledges that that also makes him a little bit nervous, anxious. I don't want to get into the headlines, right? You know, anxious and, uh, and, and, and concerned. No, but, but it, it gets him a little bit nervous about the state of his run defense if his offense is having that kind of success. So it's it's got to be measured any excitement about uh, at any group in a scrimmage because you remember they're they're playing against their teammates and that's that's someone else who who didn't have a chance to succeed. Yeah, here's the thing. I I've I've said this a few times now and I think the deeper we get into August and the closer we get to the start of the season, the more I believe it. I think Auburn's weakness is their run defense. Like I don't know what you know what that's going to look like this year. And I think you can see where transfers have made a huge difference. Oh wow! Um, sorry, I was watching the Braves in the background. Uh, Ronnie just stole third, and then and then stole and then on a wild pitch got to home to tie the game up in the bottom of the eighth off of Camilo Doval. Go Braves! Um, yeah, it, okay, so last season, Auburn 105th nationally in yards allowed per carry. Um, the A&M, um, surprisingly, uh, A&M and I think South Carolina and Vanderbilt were the only ones in the SEC that were worse off than Auburn in run defense. And this was a line that had, you know, a, a defense front that had Colby Wooden and Derek Hall and some and some guys that, you know, People really, really like as um, you know key players and 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 productive players. I think is the other big thing with them. However, it's it's a group that like I, I'm I can see Dan how Auburn could be better at run at the run game this year. Like they were good last season. Like they were really good. I retweeted that thing on Sunday from from our buddy Parker Stats of War on Twitter about how there were few in EPA per play, there were few rushing offenses in the country that were better than Auburn once you adjust for opponent and, and whatnot. Um, and, and, like, they ran the ball particularly well last season, and I wouldn't be surprised if they do that again this year, even without a Tank Bigsby, but this was an area that they struggled in last year, and, you know, I, I just – not to take anything away from the defensive linemen and linebackers that they picked up, but I don't think that front six, so to speak, has, has been a complete product yet – and you've got some guys banged up like Keldrick Falk and Austin Keys that'll definitely play a part. But like, if Auburn's run defense isn't great this year, I I wouldn't be surprised. And I don't think Auburn fans should be like. To me, that is the biggest question mark slash negative on this team is that we saw them struggle in that area last season, and now, you know, it could it could continue to be a problem. Yeah, I think that the. Yeah, I want to be careful about being too bullish on the run game because you are replacing Tank Bigsby uh, from last season, and he was sensational. Although it does seem like if there's any group on the team, certainly if you isolate to the offense, if there's one group where people people feel confident about the, uh, the, the talent level, one through three, one through four, it's probably running back, despite the fact that 
aside from Batiste. Does Jarquez have a career start in, in, in his, like, has he actually started a game or was Tank the starter for, for every game last I don't season? Think so, so. I don't think so. I mean, I know starts are immaterial. It's more about how often you play than, than who was the first guy out there. But, yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think that in a running back room where, you know, Demari Alston had 14 carries in his one year of college football and Tank Bigsby doesn't have a career start. People are very, around here, people are very confident in what this team's going to be able to do on the ground. Brian Batie comes in having accomplished a lot as a running back, but it was at USF, and, you know, it, it still remains to be seen how he plays in to this offense. But no, I, I think the oh, – Dan, go, go Dan, ahead. Dan, to your point, I just looked it up. The last two seasons, there was never a game where Jarquez Hunter had more carries than Tank Bigsby did. So even if there was a time where Jarquez was on the field first – on a certain play, it was never a point of, of, you know, he was the number one back. Yeah, I think how Auburn runs the ball and how Auburn stops the run is is going to be vital, as as it always is. There's, especially if, if you look to the defense, there's so many new pieces that yeah. th- those, those and first – I mean, every, so many things are new from the, from the top down, from the defensive coordinator to – who is going to be playing snaps on the defensive line. Like so much has changed from last year that it could take a couple of games and that mm-hmm. that brutal four-game stretch that we've talked about a lot lately. In, in five weeks, Auburn plays four teams in a row that are ranked in the AP Top 25. I don't know how many teams in college football have a stretch where they play four straight games. I need games. to look that up. You mentioned that on our last podcast. I'm going to yeah. I'm going to do that later today. Be- I'm going to look I, that up. Yeah, I feel like Auburn's got to be one of the only ones that drew four in a row from the 25 teams that are ranked in the AP top 25. One of those four teams that Auburn plays is Georgia, and two of them are going to be on the road against A&M and LSU. So that's a stretch where you you really want to be watertight with your run defense before you get into that stretch because the other teams all miss by the way, and, yeah. you know, if I had to wager right now, I'd be interested to know your answer to this question, Justin. If I had to guess right now, Offensive Player of the Year in the conference in 2023 could be Judkins. Yeah, like, the preseason it, hype is on Judkins because he was the returning rusher in the league from last season, and, and I think, you know, I, I, I think Wenchai Judkins is a great player. I, I do wonder, though, in college football, we, we, we build these guys up so often after one good year, and then it's like, well, somebody else could emerge – but yeah, I mean, if you wanted to make an easy bet, yeah, that would be that would be the guy. It's I mean, him, we'll, him or Jaden Daniels probably. Will Brock Bowers have the the counting stats? I think yeah. I think I think Brock Bowers is the best player in the SEC, and he could he could be the best player in the country. You know, Caleb Williams is the other one you could you could point to. Obviously, the Rain and Heisman winner, but maybe non quarterback. It, it, I would give it to Bowers. Yeah, there's a bunch of quarterback. I mean, you know, I think there's probably a. There's there's a version of this where Joe Milton has video game numbers, right? And he's oh, yeah. he's your conference player of the year. He's got so all like the tools. The, yeah, there's a bunch there's a bunch of different ways this plays out. We were saying earlier, Will Rogers on a, you know if he's wearing a different uniform probably mm-hmm. wins an offensive player of the year award by now just because of the of, yeah, of the you point you point that out. I just I, I keep going back to the pure air raid quarterbacks usually don't get the awards low like Connor Halliday threw for nine million yards at, at Washington State, but. You know, Timmy Chang, you know, some of some of those guys. Well, how many but also how many programs that are in contention for like super super powers that are in contention for national championships have tried 
the pure air raid before to a degree where like because even because even USC and Oklahoma yeah. are like in Raleigh, there's modifications to that. Right. So so it's like but but no, somebody like a Will Rogers, we were saying he could probably break Joe Burrow's record for passing yards in a season if he did. But they were sitting there at like seven and five, eight and four. It's it's not going to be enough because people look at it and say, eh, it's a, you know, it's a lot of it's just the, the the system. I'm frankly, you know, it's, it's cool to see loyalty these days. I'm a little surprised Will Rogers is like still there. Still, still, missing. like yeah. I, I just think, I just think, like you know, yeah, there's just not very many places running a pure air raid anymore. So maybe if he wanted to stay in somewhere familiar in that system, so, so you know, piv- that didn't make sense. Pivoting back to to Auburn and the scrimmage and, and the run game, for that matter, Justin. I think the most the most interesting development now that we know QB one is the push by Tutal Miller over the last yeah. couple of days. When we yeah. heard when we heard at the first scrimmage that Miller was running at right tackle a lot, I sort of dismissed it because of how often we'd seen Gunnar Britton as the right tackle in our in our viewing windows, as as the right tackle with the ones. But it sounds like that wasn't a blip on the radar or a hiccup and Mm-mm. Gunner, we saw it Thursday. Yeah. We saw it Thursday at the at the practice. We got to see a lot of too. So so, so yeah, break, break down especially after hearing from Hugh Freeze on Saturday. Like break down what you're what, what you're thinking the offensive line looks like right now. It's interesting. I, it's coming down to a point where you know if you're Auburn, do you think that Isaiah Miller is a better option in your starting offensive line than having either Jeremiah Wright or Tate Johnson? Um, this is not a Isaiah Miller needs to start over Gunner Britton type of thing. Gunner Britton is going to start somewhere, and they feel comfortable playing him in a lot of different places. They even talked about playing him at center. Now, I think that's going to be a, only a scenario if Avery Jones is down, or you know, and they've gotten Connor Lewis guard as well. Having depth, having versatility, having flexibility is interesting. But when you go several practices in a row, putting a guy out there with your first team this close to the season. It definitely gets your attention. So there's a scenario, obviously, where Jeremiah Wright or Tate Johnson is your starting left guard, Gunnar Britton locked in at right tackle. But here's what Hugh Freeze said uh, verbatim on Saturday about Isaiah Miller. He said, quote, we can't keep him off the field. He's going to have to play. Like, that's not a, hey, he's battling. Hey, he's, you know, he's got a chance to start. Like, they're going to play him. And, Maybe Auburn is a team that feels like early in the year they can get different offensive line groups some experience, especially in the UMass game, maybe the Sanford game two weeks later. This sounds more than like, oh, well, he's got a shot. I think we had seen so much of Wright and Johnson back and forth and back and forth and back and forth that if Miller feels like – if they feel like Miller is a better option on the offensive line, you go with that, and you know that you can move Gunnar Britton around because he's played a lot of football and he's been versatile – in his past. Now, he's been a right tackle for most of the time he's been here. But, I mean, you start looking at that, though. Left guard and left tackle, if you can have a Dylan Wade, Gunnar Britton next to each other, that's a lot of protection for the blind side of your quarterback. Now, I know that, you know, the, the blind side terminology it does not matter as much anymore in, in football because, you know, from the shotgun, you know, you, you, you need both of your ends to be protected. Uh, you know, you're, you're usually kind of facing facing a, a lot more uh straight out straight up i guess is the best way to talk about it you're you're not it's not like you have your back turned to the to the to that defensive end the whole play on like a standard drop back or anything like that but yeah i mean that would that would lock something down on the on the left side 
And then, yeah, Isaiah Miller. I mean, remember, he is a JUCO transfer. He is a guy that Auburn brought in to compete. And while at tackle it had been Wade and Britain, Wade and Britain, if Miller has gotten to the point where it's like, no, this dude is one of our five best, they feel like they're versatile enough with a guy like um, Britain that they can move him around. Well, and I think the other question would be, how many offensive linemen are we talking about, right? Is it is it five, or is there a real plan to work in a couple of the backups and, and make it to where we've heard Hugh Freeze talk about the team struggling with the heat in the last couple of, of, of days or in the, in the last couple of scrimmages. Some of the first games, the opener, you know, I, I still – I'm pretty sure that Georgia game is going to be at 2.30 a couple games into the season. The, the, A&M, yeah. game, the A&M game could be early. You know, depending on what happens, so you could have some games under the sun in the first half of the season, and you're going to want more than five offensive linemen ready to contribute. I wonder how much of it is based on that, and how much of it's truly based on, yeah, you know, Miller. Miller gives us enough at right tackle that you can build a, a left side of the line, like you said, with. Wade and Gunnar Britton that features the two most sought after tackles from the transfer portal this year playing as the left side of your offensive line and would that that would mean you're if if the offensive line on opening day and I I don't know if the depth chart right I don't know where Miller would be on your on your hypothetical depth chart yeah yeah, I'm I'm gonna put one out on Monday morning and I'm and I'm still trying as as I'm thinking about it right now like I'm, I'm having a hard time knowing like how i'm gonna work at right tackle but kind of recent events i might be tempted just to do the do the miller thing there and if you, if you do i mean you think about a left to right offensive line on opening day of dylan wade gunner Britton, avery jones cam stutz and two tall miller that's four guys who weren't on last year's roster that's St- four new that's four newcomers and one of the longest tenured guys you've ever had on your team. In yeah. Studs. Even though Cam doesn't have a ton of starts no. to his career either, but he's a, no. he's a veteran guy and, and, like you said, one of the longest tenured players, not just on the roster, but, but uh, because of the extra year COVID provides, you know, a guy who could be one of the longer tenured players in the history of the program. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it's a really interesting thing there. I, I it, When you hear about the running game operating really well and – you know, all the guys get to, found it interesting. You, you can tell you're getting closer to the season and you feel good about your running back room. When a guy like Jeremiah Cobb, who's probably fourth in the, in the list, is getting the most of the carries, that's like a that's a sign. It's kind of like when you watch NFL preseason and they're like, yep, nope, we're good. That's all we need from the starters. All right, let's get the guys who are fighting for spots out there at this point. I feel like they've, they've got that with their running backs. And also just the running backs, I think you're just going to have the balance and the, and the versatility that you're going to be able to do a lot of stuff with them. But, yeah, the offensive line, it's, you know, I'm not surprised at all that they have improved and can move some guys around a little, a little bit. Like, even though Auburn ran the ball particularly well last season, um, yards per carry-wise, remember, a lot of that was Tank Bigsby doing stuff behind the line of scrimmage and breaking tackles and making plays. And also, Jarquez Hunter ripping off big runs. Robbie Ashford as well uh, ripping off big runs, especially towards the end of the season. Um this offensive line is, is is very curious because I think there's a number of directions they can go, and I don't know which one's the best, and we might not know which one's the best really until we get about a month into the season. Speaking of the run game, um, you know, I, I think that these first – and I don't want to dismiss Cal at all because it's a Power 5 opponent, it's a road game, they, they've got 
experience at a couple spots on their roster. But those first couple of games Auburn has before conference play begins, you know, I, I think it's a chance to to evaluate things beyond practice and scrimmage before you get into week mm-hmm. four when the team goes to, to College Station. The run game right now, Jarquez, assuming there are no strings attached with his availability, Damari Alston, who has been one of the headlines of this offseason for Auburn, according to pretty much everyone you ask around the program, Brian Batie, uh, who comes in with, with the resume he brings in. And then there's Jeremiah Cobb, uh, who, like you mentioned, could, could play, could force his way onto the field as a freshman. What do you think, that, what, what do you think the run game looks like early on for Auburn? What, what, how do you think they try to divvy this up? I think early on you're going to be able to rotate a lot more. Um, you know, I, I ran the story last week about kind of the history of Freeze and Montgomery and their rotations. And rarely do you have a guy that's just far and away. He's gotten a ton more carries than everybody else. I've said that if things click like it could this year for Auburn, I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the year. The Jarquez Hunters one A and and Brian, but I'm sorry, uh, and uh, Demari Austin's one B in terms of like, oh wow, it was you know it was close to a split with them as the primary guys. But T is a guy with a with a lot of different kind of roles he can play with his speed. Uh, and his experience. Um, and then Jeremiah Cobb, I think, is going to get some run early on in the year because I think he deserves it. He might see Sean Jackson in some situations as well. I think the first month of the year, or at least the first few weeks, first three weeks, are going to make it easier for Auburn to experiment. And that knowing that by the time they hit SEC player, when things roll into October, okay, we know who we can count on. We know who's going to be the, the most reliable guys and then build around that. I think that's going to kind of be the vision for the for that uh, that running game. And on top of that, like you said at the beginning, Dan, that's also going to include Robbie Ashford. That's also going to include what Robbie Ashford brings to the table as a rushing threat. And I think red zone, short yardage, you know, third down opportunities, stuff like that. You know, I think that's where he's going to be able to thrive. And also knowing that it's not going to be as predictable, or he might not be limited just to hey, you're just going to be the running guy because a He's gotten better throwing the ball. And B, you know, this is an offense that's going to want to go fast. And so, say Robbie Ashford checks in the game, third and one, whatever, in a short yardage situation or just a, a part of the field. He breaks a play. All right, let's hurry up and get to the line. Let's run another one. And that's where I think you can start seeing him just kind of stack and steal plays, quote, unquote, for a guy who's not not the starting quarterback. And and the running game is obviously going to be a big part of his, his, his game. And, and I would add to that, I mean, you you threw out there the situation of third and one. Suppose this team is is going fast and they get a first down. You swap out a receiver for Robbie Ashford, keeping Peyton Thorne on the field. Robbie Ashford, first and ten with five wide, you can play run, right? Because it's like, oh, yeah, they brought in the running quarterback and they're going to step. But it's like it's last year's starter and there are still receivers and pass-catching threats on the field. I don't know. It's, a, it's an added dimension to the Wildcat or, or Tim Tebow from 15 years ago or, or different things that people have brought in as a change of pace versus what you typically do with the quarterback the majority of the time. And I don't know. I, th- I think the possibilities are there. Hugh Freeze has a, you know, as, as we mentioned, going back to the first year at Ole Miss, Hugh Freeze has a history of supplementing a quarterback who, you know, in the case of Bo Wallace, 
by the middle and the second half of the season, Bo Wallace was on the field the vast majority of the time as the quarterback, but they would still use uh, Mackey, right? And, mm. and, and, and Brunetti. Barry Brunetti, yeah. They would bring They'd both get of those a handful guys, yeah. of carries a game and, and occasionally some passes in the case of Brunetti. And, and I know we've talked about backup quarterbacks influencing the run game a lot in the recent past because Auburn has had guys that seemingly could fill that role if called upon, right? There's, there's names, there's guys from, uh, from John Franklin to D. Davis Malik to, to Malik Willis to Joey Gatewood, right? Like there's any number of guys who to Robbie Ashford last year when TJ was the starter. Like there's, there's any number of guys who, who have had that sort of label. I do wonder this time because Hugh Freeze has a history of going to a quarterback who can run. And also, you know, I know Hugh Freeze is being complimentary of just about anybody he's asked about specifically. But what, what did you think of the comments he, he made about Robbie Ashford? He sounds like, you know, it's, it's not just a compliment to the, the practices Robbie has had since it was made official publicly that Peyton Thorne is going to be the starter. You know, it's also a reminder, hey, this guy has weapons that, uh, that, that you know, I, I don't want to paraphrase Hugh Freeze too much, but he, he hasn't had a quarterback with Robbie Ashford's skill set before. Yeah, it's the the freakish athleticism is is what's being been talked about. Um, talking about adding a different dynamic to the team, a different, you know, he just does different things, you know. And I think watching him in practice and hearing about what he did in the scrimmage, by the way, we should say uh, during the scrimmage on on Saturday, uh, good passing game for uh, for uh, Peyton Thorne. And then, you know, he had a couple touchdowns there. Had a pick. Um, good play by the defense. Also, like, a, a bad decision. It sounded like a, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a great decision by, um, by Thorne there. But, you know, it's, you know, it's a situation, I think, where you can use a guy like Robbie Ashford without necessarily taking too, too much away from Peyton Thorne. And wanting Peyton Thorne to maximize what he can do as a pass rusher, or as a pass rusher, as a passer, a, pa- a pocket passer, uh, as a guy who you feel like can s- take your passing game to the next level because, again, citing that stats award tweet I had earlier, Auburn, only a handful of offenses in the country were more efficient than Auburn on the ground last season. Only a handful of offenses were less efficient through the air than Auburn was. And part of the reason why Hugh Freeze is your, is your head coach, Philip Montgomery's your offensive coordinator, and now Peyton Thorne's your quarterback, is because Auburn desperately needs to pass the ball better. That is what has held them back the most uh, from from being a true contender, really, over the better part of the last, what, five, six years? And if you think about the offseason before 2017, you made note. I mean, I've, I've made comparisons between Peyton Thorne and Jarrett Stidham. Peyton Thorne's numbers at Michigan State are remarkably similar to Jarrett Stidham's numbers in two years at Auburn, Peyton Thorne was named the starter. Was it almost exactly the same day that Stidham was named the starter before the 17 season? Uh, Peyton Thorne was battling the guy who finished last year as the starter, Robbie Ashford. Jared Stidham was battling the guy who finished the previous season as the starter in Sean White. Uh, and and that's um, you know I, I I think the hope would be going into the 17 season. The belief was Auburn could run the ball well in 16. Cam, uh, Cam Petway had those, those those huge games 
down the stretch. If you could marry a more sophisticated, and how about this, Baylor-influenced passing offense into what Auburn was doing in 2016 on the ground, you could have this breakthrough offensively. Now Auburn has a ground game that showed promise last year. Granted, you don't bring back Tank Bigsby, but if you remember the 2017 season, it wasn't Cam Petway doing the damage on the ground for Auburn in 2017. It was Kerryon Johnson who stepped into the uh, the starting role. If Auburn can have, if Auburn can continue that success on the ground that you were just talking about from especially the second half of last season, and they can find a way to bring the passing offense up to snuff and closer to the middle or top half of the conference, the you know the, the chances there for Auburn to be an extremely tough out offensively. The stars have to align, yeah. but they aligned but they aligned for much of the 2017 season when you brought that new quarterback in and he was able to give defenses just enough to worry about on top of what Auburn was able to do on the ground. Speaking about giving something the defenses have to worry about, Shane Hooks, man. I mean, we're already half an hour into this conversation almost without talking about Shane Hooks. Good grief. Uh, the one-handed catch that we, that you've probably now seen videos of, photos of, impressive. He had another touchdown uh, in, the, in the scrimmage as well. Um, he's a playmaker, man. And, and I think they've been kind of waiting for him to separate himself. He is the most established wide receiver in the room. His production at Ohio and Jackson State, um, when you combine it, it dwarfs what they had with, you know, um, Javarius Johnson and Coy Moore, guys that, you know, and even Jair Shorter, like guys who have played a decent bit of college football. Hooks has been a guy at lower level, sure, has been somebody who has just been there and done that. Um, and Freeze did say the thing they've been trying to get with Hooks is, is like, hey, man, Give it your all every single route you run. We've got depth behind you. You know, and I think he might, there might not have been as much depth of that at Ohio. I'm not going to sit here and say I know exactly what he's talking about or what Shane Hooks is thinking, but, like, think about it at Ohio and at Jackson State. He had to be this target-heavy guy that, you know, don't want to say you're, you're sandbagging or anything, but maybe, like, not going all out every single snap because you're going to have to play a lot of snaps. Auburn's got the depth behind him that he they're telling him like, hey, you can get a break if you need it. We need you to go all out because when they when he goes all out, he can make plays like he did on Saturday. Yeah, and and that's you know I, I feel like there have been a couple of instances where Hugh Freeze has called into question effort uh, from from the receivers. Not all the time, but 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 it's come up. He, he cited there were plays in the first scrimmage where guys may have been loafing and then, and I think he confirmed it and said there were quite a few, uh, but, but some of that might've had to do with the heat, but it's, it's uh, for, for Shane hooks to, to flash that ability. And I don't think we mentioned it was Nehemiah Pritchett who got the interception, right? I mean, cause, cause some of these guys have been, uh, some of these guys have been named or clips have come out of, 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 of different highlights uh, from the, scrimmage the highlight that's being shared more than just about anything else is that Shane Hooks touchdown where he goes up in the back of the end zone Hugh Freeze mentioned it at the press conference you know saying it was the kind of touchdown catch had this been a game on television the highlight would have circulated and made sports center oh yeah and and you know I, Hugh Freeze didn't say it would have gone viral but that's what he meant right like it would have mm -hmm. been one of those kind of uh, moments people still right. watch sports center painter do you still watch sports center 
Uh, not I'm not consistently. Um, typically, if I see Sports Center on, it's in public. Yeah, I like I like like during football season, I'll watch the Van Pelt Sports Center, like especially like like during bad beat season, like you know, or the Sports Center he does after Monday Night Football is usually the one I end up watching more than more than any other. But yeah, you're right, Dan. It's like that's like kind of a, a kind of an older way of saying going viral is like hey, it's going to be on Sports Center. It's like yeah. Probably. And like it kind of, the catch itself kind of went mini viral on Auburn Twitter yesterday. Yeah, really impressive catch. Seek out the, the clip if, you, uh, if, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen uh, Hollywood Hooks uh, climb the ladder and, and go get it. I, I hope that that's his nickname because he watches a lot of TCM and he's a big fan of, of classic cinema. I, I really hope that's what's going on there. I think and, it's and Hollywood I, Hooks because of the alliteration. Okay. Like, well, uh, if, it's like remember Richard Higgins was Hollywood Higgins. I'm sure there's other ones. If he's if it's because he's a, a cinema buff, I would I would say he's invited on the show to review a movie every week. I think that'd be a fun like classic Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, if, if there's a if there's a really just you know anything yeah anything made before 2000 I think we'll we'll say is is classic Hollywood in this instance is yeah any any. Uh, you know, cl- classic classic films with Hollywood hooks, I think, is a winner of a segment. But no, this it sounds like and you were talking about his time at Jackson State, Justin. Um, mm-hmm. He really comes in. You've got all these all these different. It's like the like the, you know, the, the folks on the island at lost. Right. All these receivers that have come to Auburn all have these different stories. They've been through different things as college football players. But they they make up the the receivers room this year of the entire group. Hooks is probably the only one that has real time as a number one receiver producing on the field as a college football player, right? I mean, I guess Javarius Johnson would be, would be the other one who's been a number one receiver. He had he had time when he was Auburn's top option. But there's a lot of potential in the room. There are a lot of guys that at some point in their career they were supposed to become number one receivers or steady contributors at the college football level, but it's still a potential thing for a lot of these guys. Hooks, I mean, you have to keep in mind that there's an exchange rate between championship subdivision football and the SEC, but this this is a guy who knows what it is to be the number one receiver on the field yep. and, and everything yep. it entails, and, and it's a big true. reason. That's, it's, that's a, huge. It's, a, it's a big reason why he's here. Yeah, Auburn had been looking for separation at, at wide receiver, and I think they're getting some of that. And as Free said on Saturday, they got to get other guys to to come along with them as well, and that's a, that's a big deal. That is a really big deal. Um, you've heard a lot about Jay Fair. You've heard a lot about Amari Kelly, Caleb Burton. Is a, but hearing and kind of seeing some of that production, you can see where okay, you feel pretty good. Like there's this wad of talented receivers that they're looking for separation. And I'm not saying Hooks has arrived and he's clearly you know, wide receiver number one, and there's no doubt about it. But, like, if he does more of what he did on Saturday, he can be a go-to guy that Auburn needs in this offense this year. And I think that's a that was a really good development from them. As it stands now, you know, and, and, and you got to keep in mind, if, if Auburn – Auburn's going to be a huge favorite against UMass. If, if, if the game goes as planned, you could see the reserves. You know, who, who knows? Let's talk about the first couple of drives against UMass. Right now, Justin, what receivers do you expect to see out there? 
Like let's say first, the first couple of drives. I, yeah, for, uh, first couple of drives against. Honestly, I don't want to. I don't want to do the exact same thing Freeze did, but <laughs> I'm close to naming all eight of those guys because I think there's just going to be a lot of rotation. I really do. I think there's going to be a lot of rotation, and I don't see this wide receiver room as being kind of like the ones we've seen in the past from Auburn, where it's like here are two or three guys, and then we may see a few other ones. Like I think they're going to move dudes around and play a lot now. Jay Fair, Amari Kelly. Um, are guys that we haven't seen a ton of production from at this point in their careers, but it makes a ton of sense. But, like, if I'm thinking of go-to type of guys, Shane Hooks, Javarius Johnson, I mean, it's hard not to see all the Jay Fair talk and not mention him. And then I, Cameron Brown had a touchdown in the scrimmage. He's getting healthier. I think Cameron Brown is, is a guy that could catch up by the time we're in October or towards the middle of the season, we're talking about Cameron Brown as one of the top guys. We just haven't heard as much about him about it yet because he hadn't been able to practice. Now, he, he just got through a week where he got to stay healthy and was able to practice fully. And, and I mean, every time you heard Freeze talk about the wide receivers, it was just like, we need to get Cameron Brown healthy. We need to get Cameron Brown healthy. Well, here he is healthy. And I think the potential – I think Cameron Brown on this team has the potential to be a top two, three, four receiver on this team when fully healthy. And I think it's him and Javarius – and Shane Hooks make the most sense in terms of I can visualize where that production can come from. Fair, Kelly, Caleb Burton. Um, I feel like I'm missing Jair Shorter. Um, Those are guys where it's like maybe more roles, maybe more of like, all right, I, I personally would like to see games from them where they are guys that they can go to before I can do that. And I know, I know Camden Brown doesn't have a ton of production in there, but like you look at the stats from last season and when he was on the field, the thing with Camden Brown is they just didn't throw the ball to him enough. Like he was productive when he got targeted, he just didn't get a ton of targets. We're still waiting to kind of see that from some of these other guys. And, and in the case like Shorter, maybe somebody who maybe need a little more time to adjust to this level. Right, and, and we haven't mentioned Coy Moore or Malcolm Johnson. I don't believe either of them went in the scrimmage on. Saturday that that's a big reason why they're not on that list of eight receivers we're talking about now Marcus Davis did say when he was talking to the media last week you know he feels like Coy Moore when he's right physically can jump back into the rotation and get himself a shot because he's been through the he's been through the the switch over from one offense to another and he's been he's had multiple coaching staffs at this point in his career you know Malcolm Johnson. I think we said on a previous show, like you know, feels just kind of star-crossed. You know, it's 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 uh, and doesn't seem like any of it's his fault, but it's one thing after another preventing him from making good on that potential. You remember, people thought he had like NCAA champion type of stuff as a track athlete when he was in high school. Like that's the sort of thing people were saying about Malcolm Johnson Jr before he reclassified and came to Auburn to play receiver. And it's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, yeah, you know, right now it feels like he's got a lot of work to do to, to catch up to some of the other guys we've talked about more uh, this, uh, this fall. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Coy Moore and, and Malcolm Johnson Jr. Just the fact that they've been dealing with injuries for so long makes me wonder what they can do. Cause otherwise it's like somebody made the joke on Twitter when freeze like named the guys in the rotation. He's like, he just basically named all of the receivers. And it was like, yeah. And then there were people like, well, what about Malcolm Johnson? What about Coy It's like, yeah, he mentioned them too as guys that had been hurt. So it's like, yeah, it is the whole receiver room because they've been looking for separation. And I think Hooks has probably done the most to separate himself at this point. Again, don't want to overreact to just one scrimmage, but I think it is the combination of the scrimmage, the week of practice he just had, and the fact that 
you add up his yards and his touchdowns from his previous stops, it is by far the most that they have on this team of, of, of a guy who's, like you said, Dan, has been a, a, a go-to receiver in the past. Yeah, four, four incoming transfers, and I would say if all four of them are available in the opener, Mardner, Burton, Shorter, and Hooks, I would expect to see all four of them quite a bit early on. Yeah. Um, and, and then you've got Marner, the, and now Marner yeah. wasn't able to practice on Saturday because because of an injury. He was one of the other ones that they mentioned with an injury report, and that 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 affects things. But I, but I keep you know I, I keep turning to beat writers. I mean, like, am I nuts or is Nick Marner constantly getting thrown to? Yeah, when we are yeah. yeah. So I mean, so it, it does feel like they're working him in in their own way in front of the media, and I feel like that could be meaningful. And he's somebody I think he'll who, definitely be part of the yeah. rotation if he's helped. Yeah, and, and Marcus Davis has coached him before and knew what he was getting when, when he brought Marner in. And, and the fact that he's got that size just sort of it, it makes him a different kind of option at receiver than just about everybody else in that room. So I would say the four transfers and then of the holdovers, yeah, Kelly, Fair, Johnson, and Brown are the, are the four, like we said, because, uh, because Johnson Jr. and Coy Moore haven't been able to practice. Uh, it, it's great to hear that Caleb Brown had a good scrimmage, right? Because that's a guy that, I think after the scrimmage, after the first scrimmage, Hugh Freeze mentioned he'd barely seen Camden Brown in practice because of injuries since arriving on campus at, at Auburn. And so for 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 Camden Brown to do enough this week that that he was you know able to go in the scrimmage and then to catch a touchdown pass in that scrimmage is good news for a receiver that people were really excited about last year and you know has a well liked among his teammates and a guy that people think you know could be you know could impact the passing game if if uh, if, if things line up and so yeah reassuring and and good news to hear that, that Camden Brown and and then I guess we're talking about the receivers anyway Justin there's there's also Rivaldo right who's not a receiver by name uh, but will be you know like you said seems like just about the surest thing of the of the options that Auburn has uh, through the air at the moment. Yeah, and Rivaldo, you know, didn't hear about his, him as much after the scrimmage, but I mean, the week of practice he had, and just constantly hearing people talk about, yeah, he's taking balls off a defensive back's head, heads. I mean, like we watched it. This is something we talked about the other day. Coming off that Thursday practice, it was like we have heard about Rivaldo Fairweather making plays at and plays and plays, and like you know, uh, these guys aren't lying, but it's the preseason. You know, everybody's optimistic. Everybody's hyping their boys up. Uh, in the preseason but like for me with my own eyes to go out there and say oh yeah no he's doing that to get that verification was like a a pretty big deal Uh, i want to talk a little defense um but before we do that we need to take care of some business hi everyone if you like this show you like what we're talking about and you would love more of it uh you can go to auburnobserver.com and sign up uh there's also links in the description buttons in the emails whatever you got it's the perfect time to sign up as of recording right now folks 105 new new paid subscribers since the start of fall camp. We're running a special that goes all the way through uh, until really the start of the the season. Um, so for four dollars a month or forty dollars a year, you get twice as much of the podcast. At least um, you get you know two of this show. So early for those of you who are new, how this works during the season. Our our review episodes, our like post game episodes, day after episodes from games, those will always be free. The paid ones will be the preview games. So when we look ahead, have guests, you know, talk about the game ahead, those will be behind the paywall. That's our 
midweek, later in the week. Those are just for subscribers. And again, like I said, this is the perfect time to sign up because you you're never going to get a better deal than this, especially at the time of year that you're getting it with uh, with the start of the season. Um, four dollars a month or forty dollars a year. You also get all of friends of the program. Um, you will get any other bonus podcast we do. We are going to do a, um, we are going to do the Auburn, uh, grub server, uh, where we, uh, where we, uh, review, uh, it's our, it's our food podcast, uh, that some of y'all have been asking for, uh, next week, uh, game week, we are going to drop it at some point in game week. Cause Painter, I mean, we had this question this week from somebody, um, you know, one of your friends is like, Hey, I'm coming to Auburn. I haven't been to Auburn in a few years. I'm coming in for game weekend or, you know, uh, I'm, I'm here in town. Where do I need to eat? And so we're going to give y'all a crash course for those of you visiting Auburn, uh, coming back to Auburn, maybe first time visiting for a game, or, you know, you just want to hear us give our opinions on like, food. That's going to that's gonna come out sometime in game week. That will be a paywalled episode as well. We told him Sonic, right? That was what we told your friend where he had to go. It's like, it's like friend, do you love Crystal? Um now I uh, so we've got that. We'll have some other stuff. Uh, Friends of the program, uh, which Painter, we were talking. That seems like that's going to be a little bit more of a regular schedule moving forward every few weeks um, during the season. So keep an eye out and an ear out for that for for Pablo, Dave, and Painter. And uh, you get all of the newsletters. So film rooms, mailbags, uh, analysis pieces. Uh, I'm going to do like I said in our last episode. Uh, this season, uh, I'm going to do, um, for the 2013 season, I'm going to do 13 newsletters, one each week of the season, uh, about the 2013 season. going to dive into some old stories, numbers, stats, film, a lot of fun stuff from that 2013 season. You'll get that as well. Um, yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff we're giving you, uh, but for $4 a month or $40 a year, if you sign up new subscribers now to the start of the season. Also want to shout out our good friends. At homefieldapparel.com, Homefield Apparel, the number one place to buy um, collegiate apparel, vintage collegiate apparel. Uh, we're talking about the most comfortable t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, uh, quarter zips, uh, joggers. Um, I think they have hats now, too. Yeah, they have some Auburn hats. They have a Auburn hat, I should say. Um, the coolest Auburn designs you're going to find anywhere on the most comfortable stuff you're going to find anywhere. Homefieldapparel.com. Uh the promo code is Observer23 at checkout. If you've never ordered from Homefield before, that'll get you 15% off your first order. Observer23 at checkout. You can also get the official Auburn Observer t-shirt if you like our logo, if you like us, whatever, either one. Um, on the Navy on the Navy t-shirt, it's the most comfortable one, uh, I think, of Homefield's t-shirts. Each shirt has a different kind of style and kind of feel to them um, because of the fabrics and whatnot and the dyes. Uh the blue one, the Navy, the Heather Navy, uh, goes hard. So that is, uh, that is our official shirt. You can only get it at home field apparel, search Auburn observer on homefieldapparel.com. And like I said, 15% off, they're going to be running some deals here shortly, um, getting ready for the new season. So this will be a really good time to, to, to click on over to home field and tell them the observer sent you. Hey, Justin, any, any word on the peacock blue alternate of the observer? Uh-huh. You know, the, that would be the, cool. I do uh-huh. like that. I do like the I do like the uh, the baby blue Auburn stuff they have on their side. It, it is really it's really good stuff. We, we're we're of the opinion now. Every 
every team with blue in the color scheme should have a sky blue, powder or, blue yeah. or powder blue alternate. And I think if you have red or maroon in your color scheme, you should have a pink alternate. Okay. Like a, a, a pink Now, a pink I would say powder one. blue, sky blue can also pull off the maroon nicely. Like the, the old Phillies look is, is, is a really strong one. The, 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 tr- the only the only St. Louis Cardinals uh, uniform I like is when they wear the powder blues. I think we're I think we wrapped up that segment nicely, right? Well, <laughs> I would also say you can get all that stuff from homefieldapparel.com. Also, Painter, tell the folks at home how they can help out the show for no money down. Rate, review, subscribe, leave us five stars. Line or two will do. We do appreciate it. Yeah, and we're still doing the thing all throughout August, so you got a week and some change left to go. If you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast for the podcast, for our podcast, the Observer Podcast, you can do it for other things. Be nice to other podcasts as well, but we specifically want you to be nice to us. We're going to pick out. We're each going to pick out our favorite uh, review from this past month, and then those winners are going to get a Home Field Apparel gift card. So this is a perfect time to give us a five-star review we've got some great ones already i was i was scrolling through some to, uh today getting ready for the show some great stuff got some top contenders in there people if you're going to want to jump in you're going to need to bring your a game but you can win a home field apparel gift card by just giving us five stars making us laugh saying something nice whatever we'll each pick our favorites we're three different people with three different mindsets so you know what to do go to apple Podcasts and give us give us those those five stars what, what do you think of the idea of a team with red in the color scheme having a pink alternate? The, the Trojans, I think for, for Breast Cancer Month, they have a, a white and pink that they, uh, that they rock that I think looks I think it looks really cool. I know there's some folks that aren't thrilled about seeing a lot of hot pink in their uh, in their I uniforms. like more of the, I like more of like the cotton candy pink, the, the lighter pink than a, than a hot pink. That's just me though. Yeah, but I mean between Barbie making a billion dollars and True. I mean I was a I was a big Bret Hart fan growing up, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm not afraid of it, man. Throw that throw that in there. All right. Let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball. We did talk about the run defense, and I will say Austin Keys, Calvert Falk, uh not able to go on uh on Saturday. That impacted, I think, some of the run game. Jalen McLeod as well. They need to get him healthy. Free said there was a lot of those guys that just need to get back to hundred percent. I think this week will be good. Try to get them to full health, get them into kind of game week mode, and then be able to turn them loose for the start of the year. Um, but Dan, um, your guy Steven sings the fifth, the 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 edge rusher from a George Foreman situation uh, is uh, he made some plays, and he made some plays on Thursday when we saw him out there at practice as well. Elijah McAllister good against the run. I, I think it's interesting, you know, coming into the year. I think coming into 2023, a lot of people are like, well, how's Auburn going to find any pass rush? How's Auburn going to be able to find anything on the edge? No, no Derek Hall, you know, uh, no Eculiota, even what you got uh, at times, you know, just in pure pass rushing from a guy like uh, Colby Wooden is gone. And I will say, I'm not saying all the problems are solved, but the way they've addressed the edge rushers with this complete overhaul, I think that's more solidified than the run defense, which was an issue last year, and even even though you're bringing back some some familiar faces, Rocky Five, my least favorite of the Rocky films. Stephen sings the fifth, my favorite of it, the of the Stephen singses that that I know about is so there, far. So, is there a movie that's a five, a fifth? That's ooh. like 
actually good because I think Empire, you get Empire Strikes Empire Strikes Back. Right, uh, but that's the thing. It's like you know, you kind of come to a point then where it's like, well, that was the second one made. Um, it, you know, it kind of comes to a point where it's like things that are clearly defined as number five. Maybe not like because some people said whatever the fifth Marvel movie was, you could probably point Ooh. to that or the you know. But- Fast Five is when they introduce Dwayne Johnson and the series becomes like heist movies and they go to space and stuff. Before then, remember okay. they were they yeah. were just stealing they were stealing DVD players, they're stealing DVDs, yeah. In, in in the first in the first movie, and then they're in space like ten movies later. Like it's a uh, it's it's a wild sequence. How many John Wicks are we? Was that the fourth Four. one? The, Four. That was the fourth one that just came out. This was, so the, so they're under the gun to uh, uh, to keep to keep things. I think going, they're but, done. I think I think no. they're done. We can continue. I want to continue the Rocky discussion either at the end of the show or at another time. But but the I can't really the, give you a whole lot of Rocky talk. Really? Okay. We, yeah, we can get I, into this. I, I've, I've watched the first one and the third one. You'll have to remind me what happens in the, two. The second half of two. Uh, two is the uh, two's the rematch uh, with uh, with Apollo Creed. Three is the one with Mister T. I think yeah. the, the, I'd say the second half of three is a perfect movie the okay. uh, the final hour of, of rocky three is just a, it's just sensational four is when he ends the cold war uh by himself and then uh, and then and then five is when there's a sort of a shady don king-esque promoter who is bringing up a kid uh who uh, is is uh played by real life boxer tommy morrison uh, who then tries to be the guy to take rocky down the finale of rocky five takes place in a parking lot it's not a, you know, it's a step down from Madison Square Garden and, and what have you. Steven Sings is a really exciting addition to an edge rushing room that has different uh, different weapons that mm-hmm. they can throw out there. I mean, McLeod uh, couldn't go in the scrimmage, right? I mean, they're, they're still right. being real careful. They're being careful with McLeod. I think they'll be careful with Elijah McAllister all season because he has... Uh, he has an injury history uh, coming from Vanderbilt, and uh, that that leaves Stephen Sings, a guy who was coached by these coaches at, at Liberty and left a, a position where he was going to be the starting defensive end at Liberty to come to Auburn. I've been, you know, I've, I've been suspecting that we're going to see a lot of Stephen Sings, and Hugh Freeze mentions him by name as the guy influencing the pass rush in the scrimmage yeah, on Saturday. I, I think I think you could run into a situation this year where where Steven Sings and Jalen McLeod are kind of like co-starters at Jack. Like, if they finish the year with roughly the same amount of snaps, I wouldn't be surprised that McLeod's more of your pure pass rusher. But I think Sings, with his size, can do a lot of stuff on early downs. But, you know, also a decent pass rusher in his own right. A lot of the stuff we hear about McAllister is about how well he can set the edge on the run in the running game. So, you know, I think that's a good combination that they're building there. Brent Williams um, developing some depth there uh, as well behind him. Yeah, and and I think we're going to see different different packages, different looks. McLeod mm-hmm. told us that they've worked on uh, they've worked on a look where there's a jack on each side. Yep, and and sort of you know you could you could attack the quarterback that way. The way they the the way they decide to, and, and then you have players like Marcus Harris and Keldrick Falk, right, who can play a couple of different spots potentially along the defense. Mm-hmm. It it gives it gives Auburn a chance to. Uh, to, uh, to to figure out you know who who the uh, who the best look is like it's not about the eleven starters on defense. Ron Roberts has given us that number right. of twenty five. It's about mixing and matching that twenty five uh, to give you the best chance to win. And we know that they're going to 
blitz guys. They're going to blitz linebackers. They're going to blitz DBs. That is something Ron Roberts has done in his past uh, with the successful defenses. We know Cam Riley is a guy that is a linebacker who can do some natural edge rushing stuff, some pass rushing stuff. Even if he's not, quote, a jack or working with the jacks, I think he can do some stuff that kind of mimics that. Yeah, I, I was struck by McLeod sort of shooting down how much Cam Riley has actually been working with the Jacks, remember when he when he was talking yeah, to us? Yeah, like, yeah, that was that kind of seemed more of like when they talked about him. They're like, yeah, he's a guy who can do some stuff off the edge for us without necessarily being a Jack, without necessarily working as a Jack. I think it's going to be certain defenses, certain situations. You may line up one of your box linebackers out there. It sounds like Cam Riley's still doing quite a bit of work at inside linebacker too. Oh, shoot, like yeah. they, like this this is another guy who yeah. they don't you know they don't they don't want to put. Well, I think especially put, when yeah. Keys isn't one hundred percent right now, you're you're going to want to get him a lot of experience because you feel like Asante is going to be one of your key guys this season, and I, and and Larry Nixon has continued to be a, a a very talked about guy here in the second half of camp. And, and if you think back to Josh Aldridge uh, talking to us, uh, I don't know, a week and a half ago, you know, he said, yeah, you know, there's there's talk about uh, there, at the moment people are talking about Keys and Asante. But Cam Riley is going to play as much as just about anybody on this defense yep. because of, of where they need him, his experience. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I could see why maybe if, if he's going to have that kind of role at inside linebacker, maybe you want to be careful about how much you're also asking him to work yep. with the Jacks in practice. But in a third and long, you know, maybe Cam Riley's still an option yep. to, to go out there and go get the quarterback. Can run really well uh, in that group. I think I think it makes a ton of sense. So some of this I feel like, and, and I'm not an expert on the the finer points of pass rushing, but some of this feels like it would have to do with the tackle you're matched up against too, right? Mm-hmm. Like a smaller a smaller faster guy might be a better matchup for one kind of uh, of edge rusher, and a, a bigger stronger guy might be a better matchup for someone else. Like it, it feels like you're also playing, uh, you're also reacting to what the offense gives you at the line of scrimmage. Dan, what do you make about the DBs? And the, the talk of uh, Hugh Freeze calling them out and them responding. Um, you know, Freeze hasn't minced words at all in his press conferences, you know, here in the preseason uh, about kind of when he calls folks out and when he doesn't like what's something that's going on. Really seemed to challenge Nehemiah Pritchett and DJ James to not coast and, and you know, practice like they're capable of being all SEC type of corners. And it sounds like they responded. Sounded like this scrimmage was a stronger one for the secondary. Experienced guys, of course, but they're tackling better. They're communicating better. They're 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 fixing some of the problems that Freeze identified early in camp. Um, you know that I think took some people by surprise just because there's so much experience coming back in that crew. Yeah, it's there's the story of the off season DJ and Nehemiah, and and this is what the list Hugh Freeze gave us right at the at mm-hmm. the press conference on Saturday where he said you got DJ Nehemiah, Keontae, and Zion who have played. A lot of football. They were on the field for virtually Jaylen. the entire yeah, and, and Jalen. Like they, mm-hmm. they were they were on the field for virtually the entire season last year uh, when when healthy. And then there's everyone else, right? Who's trying yeah. to catch up and, and get into that rotation because after that, I mean, Donovan Kaufman was on mm-hmm. last year's team and on the field played a decent uh, bit. Um, uh, uh, Wooden, right? Caleb wouldn't play. Caleb wouldn't played a, a solid amount, and I think he's probably your second team star nickel right now. Um, yeah, JD Rim played a little bit, but he's J- had he's had a, he's had a challenging off season. Sure, and then you've got Kay and Lee, who I think has done as well as any true freshman has had on this team uh, here in this preseason, um, and he'll be in in the in the role. But then it's like, yeah, that that. 
that fourth corner, that fourth safety, it just looks really interesting. You mentioned Rim, Champ Anthony, a, a guy that we've seen more and more of, uh, you know, and and Colton Hood uh, getting getting some love uh, as well, even if he might be more of a third guy, third string guy for him. Safety is it Marquise Gilbert. Is it you know? Is it a is it a situation where you you feel like you're confident enough in one of your younger guys, whether it's a Terrence Love or a, you know Sylvester Smith? I'm a you know I'm a big Terrence Love fan from what I've seen you know in yeah. limited glimpses in the in, in the fall. Now what we've seen the safeties do is pretty different from what a safety is asked to do like during yes. a game and, yeah. and coordinating the defense and and playing. I mean it's slot I mean, heck, corner. We've seen we've yeah. seen a lot of Griffin speaks. Walk on uh, from 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 Auburn. The 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 nickel slash slot corner and the safety that has to play a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage, like those jobs are just they seem impossible from where I sit. Right? It's like, hey, uh, play the run and also cover slot receivers and that's also why, cl- cover why, tight ends why and good, running backs. That's why a good nickel in the NFL gets paid a ton of money? It's like it's so hard yep. to find those guys because it's an impossible job. And it's why we're seeing guys that used to profile as a team's number one corner or number one safety. Now they're moving up in their and they're like the Keontae Scott role on, on a defense because it's vital that that can't be a teams weakness. are putting their best receivers in the yeah. slot. And, and, and obviously with the rise of crazy good tight ends uh, around football. It can't be a weakness anymore on your defense because if it is, you're just going to get you're, you're going to get swallowed every, alive by some of these teams in the yeah, SEC. Yeah, and not everybody's cut out for it as their primary. Like it takes a different kind of look. Like, look, for example, Nehemiah Pritchett is a very good corner. Um, you know, uh, outside corner statistically has been his best position. Now he had stretches in his career where he played nickel, and it and he wasn't as productive. He wasn't as successful at nickel as he was on the outside. That doesn't mean Nehemiah Pritchett is a bad corner by any means. I, I particularly think Nehemiah Pritchett is underrated for Auburn fans. Like he's not statistically what DJ James was, but like I think on the outside where he gets to stay there is where he's where he's his best at. But yeah, that's why finding a guy like Keontae Scott was so big. And I think Donovan Kaufman may be a better fit for what they want to do at safety. Which is why them developing uh, Colby, or I'm sorry, not Colby, Caleb Wooden uh, at, at Star, and um, is it uh, is it Sylvester Smith that's playing? Uh, one of the one of the true freshmen is playing nickel, um, and and I should know it off the top of my head, but uh, but I'm blanking. All right, I think it might be Sylvester Smith. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think J- that's JC. JC's been out at corner mostly, yes. right? He's been JC's mostly on been the out at corner, like JC, Tyler Scott, those guys. C.J. Johnson's been a guy we've seen more at safety. I I really am curious to see with guys like, especially the 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 first year defensive backs. Mm. Your Champ Anthony, your Canley, and I think we got to mention Colton Hood. Oh yeah, right. Like those like th- those those are the three to me where it's like how early are they on the field that first game? Because um, I think there's a chance you see all of them by the end of drive two. Right, like all, like, and maybe that's early for all three of them, but is it? Like, like, I mean, I'll, I'll kick that, I'll kick that one over to you, like Justin Ferguson. Like, what, what do you think defensive back looks like? How early could Auburn be going to the young guys? They need to get them on the field this year because a lot of these dudes that are going to be starting this year for Auburn are not going to be here next year. Some of them have the opportunity to come back, but like, they're going to need to get experience. And, like, Kay and Lee makes a ton of sense as guys that are going to play. You wouldn't as well. But, like, 
if you want to go too deep in that secondary, which I think you do, if you want to go too deep for those five spots in the secondary, you need some more guys to step up and emerge and be those dudes. So your five starters right now in the secondary. If, if Auburn played tomorrow, you'd have James. Zion Puckett. You, you have Puckett, Puckett and Simpson mm-hmm. as your safeties, and then James Pritchett and Scott yep. as your as your three corners, two outside, one inside. Yep. What's your second team look like if those are your five starters? I mean, right now it's Kay and Lee at corner and Donovan Kaufman at safety, and then like those other three spots are up for grabs to me. I mean, Caleb Wood probably Caleb, Caleb Wood. No, I'll tell you about Caleb Wood's probably. Probably your second team nickel, but like, is it Champ Anthony? Is it JD Rim? Is it Marquise Gilbert at safety? You know who is it? Like, you know, there's there's just guys that need to emerge at this point and like play because next year Auburn's going to need them. I would think that Champ Anthony is somewhere in that second five. Right I would think now, so based, too. Based, and I, based and on the I, way and I would think JD and I think JD Rim would be as well. But then Maybe. that that makes it interesting to see who plays where. Maybe Lee, Anthony, and Rim would be your three corners if they're all healthy and available, and it's just a matter of which one they'd want. Wooden and out, Wooden yep. and uh, Kaufman. Kaufman back there. Yeah, I maybe. think I think that's Marquise Marquis Gilbert's also in in the mix. Yeah, that's that's and then a second talked, team. And then that, we've yeah. talked about Hood and some of these other young guys. Yeah, J.C. Hart and Colton Hood and and uh, and yeah, and Gilbert wouldn't be in Osbury. Like wouldn't be in that wouldn't be in that second team as we project at the moment, which tells you how many defensive backs Auburn has vying for these spots. But yeah, it's, I mean that's a that's a second group of guys that, especially considering how much eligibility they've got left, you'd love to get them on the field. Maybe it's early to rely on any of them uh, a ton, but uh, Auburn right now is in a position where they feel pretty good about their starters. It'd be interesting to see what what kind of emerges from there. Uh, I will say that uh, Auburn has got Auburn's got a lot of experience in the secondary. It seems like that secondary has responded to some of the some of the challenges, some of the criticism on them early in, in camp. It's just they got to have that next wave come up. They have to have that next wave come up because you don't want to be in a situation next year where you're just completely starting over. Not in the secondary. All five of those guys we mentioned as your first team could they be all could playing. Be gone. Their, yep. Yeah. Yep. They all could be playing their last year of college football this year. Sure. If you think about Puckett and Simpson and DJ and Keontae and Nehemiah, yep, I think it would be a surprise. I think it'd be a surprise to see any of them on the on the twenty four team. Maybe more than one of them, I'd say, would be a would would, would be a real surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, does, Zion has a year left after this, right? I think some of them have COVID years you, left. Not yeah, all there's of them COVID, do. there's COVID yeah. years and stuff. So I mean, and you'd but, have to see also, what the league thinks of them, right? Yeah, they, they'd all they'd all be curious to know what the NFL and, and other professional options are out there so but no like like you said this this could be a secondary that has a ton of turnover uh they'd love to be able to uh get some of that depth in house mm-hmm. i'm sure that's a position where if auburn loses most of its production from this season they're probably going to go shopping in the portal to bring in some competition at the veteran level to to compete with these guys we're talking about right now as the next generation uh, also, to wrap up, least surprising news ever, Brian Batiste is going to be your primary kick returner. Uh, he was an All-American <laughs> a couple years ago there. Makes a ton of sense. Uh, Keontae Scott at punt returner. Now, I know there were some issues last season with him with, with some muffs and, and you know handling the ball, but he you know they still like him back there. 
Caleb Burton's also been mentioned at punt return. I wouldn't be surprised if Auburn tries out several punt returns, especially in a game like UMass where you would theoretically think UMass is going to be punting a decent bit. You might be have some opportunity to, to, to throw different guys back there. He mentioned that there will probably be another running back next to Brian Batie, but he's going to want Batie uh, taking the kicks. The kickoff has been, be, the kickoff be good, has been neutralized. Be, be a good way to put Cobb back there, give him some experience. The, the kickoff has been neutralized, you know, with the with the touchback rules and stuff. Now it's it's tougher to be a weapon, especially with the number of guys in the SEC that can routinely provide touchbacks on on kicks. But it's still you you love having a weapon back there. It's an opportunity to get Petit an extra touch here and there. And we've seen look, Tuberville used to call the punt the most important play in football because if something so goes wrong, well, no. At the same time, though, his logic was yeah. No, I get what if you're something, that, was just easy, cra- that was just an easy you're, joke to make. You're right. No, it's pretty good. Um, the the uh, the, the Tup- Tuberville said, uh, I think it was actually before the 2006 Florida game, which which made it all that crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That if something goes wrong, like that's why the punt is so important because any number of things can can go crazy, and it's such a huge momentum flip when yep. something is, goes amiss. You want experience back there as, yeah, you as, basically, your, as your returner? You ba- there is a chance when you go back and punt, there is a chance that you can give yourself 40 yards, 50 yards of field position because the other team doesn't do do their job. Like, yeah, that is true. Or you, could, so, or you could have a bad step and just give them 30, 40 yards of field position and a touchdown. Exactly. So, so there's a 90-yard spectrum in what yes. can happen, good and bad, on the, the, you know, on the punt. It's hidden yards. So, so, so yeah, so having someone like Keontae Scott, like like the the philosophy of, do you want the big play threat back there, or do you want someone reliable who is going to avoid mistakes? If you have to choose between those two things, yeah, and, and I think I think nowadays, I mean, because this is why. Let's get a soapbox here. This is why I hate like when people do like preseason, like voting for punting. And it's like, oh, who had the longest punt average? Well, that's not always the right thing to do. Like, the best punt, the best punters are the ones who don't give up returns. They punt it so high, they hit the, they hit that sweet spot of length and height, where it's going to either be a fair catch or it's going to be, you know, your coverage team's going to get down there really quickly. They're going to be able to down it. They're either going to, you know, like I said, force a fair catch or I'm going to pin you deep. So you can look at it. It was like when it's like a homeboy who from San Diego State. It was like, oh wow, look how far he's punting the ball, and it's like, and he didn't, he wasn't the first punter drafted that year, and it's like, yeah, because punting the ball to the moon isn't always necessarily the best the best thing as much as it is pinning dudes inside the twenty. So it's like Oscar Chapman. Oscar Chapman should have gotten, I think, a lot more All SEC love in the preseason because of the way he can pin people inside the twenty and 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 his net punting, where you take the punts and then you subtract how many return yards are on there. His net punting was fantastic. It might not be – he might not be booming the longest punts every single time, but it's strategic, and it's like you got you to gotta play those odds as well. And I think yeah, the better and better punters get and the better and better kickoff specialists get, it's going to be less of we're not going to even give you a chance to return it. We're just going to just flip the field here. And it does feel like every round of rule changes – tries to de-emphasize kickoff returns and punt returns it's, because it's the most violent play uh, kickoff returns kickoff returns is the most violent play in football if they got rid of that altogether like i know some people don't want to hear it and i'm sorry uh, if you don't I, I i i would be perfectly fine with no kickoffs 
just hey, let's drop the ball in twenty five and let's play. It is especially, and I know, and I know some people are, who say they have played before, but like if college level, high level SEC football, if you've ever been field level and watched what happens on a kickoff and just the amount of car crashes that happen all over the field on a kickoff, it is, it is. You know, football is always going to have an element of danger to it. Football is always going to be going to be a dangerous and you know often unhealthy sport for people's bodies and their livelihoods. But you know, you're not going to be able to legislate that all out and still have what we know as American football. But we can take away some of this junk. And like, man, I mean, kickoff returns for what you like. Yes, a kickoff return for a touchdown or a big kickoff return is a lot of fun. It's an exciting play. But they are minimal. Like the, it's minuscule how many of them do that, and how many other ones are just people just running and getting their heads taken off over and over and over again. And it's just, it's it's tough, especially as you get higher and higher, like SEC level, like NFL level. They're running fast and they're hitting hard, and it's and it's it's very dangerous. Auburn, uh, you know, Auburn has been criticized before the SEC and has been criticized before for using the clip of Junior Rose Green uh, hitting Reggie Brown as a a promotional, you know, in promotional pieces and part of the hype video and stuff. People say, you know, that that clip is is so violent. Uh, There is a clip from 2003 of Brandon Jacobs in Nashville against Vanderbilt uh, serving as the wedge buster and absolutely destroying some guy on the Vanderbilt team that was matched up against him. And it is, it's as violent a collision as you'll ever see on a, on a, on a football field. It re- I mean, it is, it is just horrifying stuff from 20 years ago. Right? Mm-hmm. The Brandon, Brandon Jacobs. Like it's, it's the kind of, they don't even use it promotionally. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that you just uh I, I i think i'm i think i'm right there with you as exciting as it can be in yeah. big moments um yeah it, it feels like yeah and uh, i'm not one of those it, people it feels like that's something that's i'm not one of those people who are like you know over like in the nfl how they're overprotective quarterbacks now and and what unnecessary like the quan alex did you see the quan alexander thing the other day him getting fined in a preseason game for like nothing like i i'm not that kind of person i am and i'm also a person who never played the game uh, so like it's easier for me to say this, but like yeah, like the kickoff, like it is so violent and it is got you get such little out of it most of the time that it's just I would love for it to see that. But in an age where this is still the case and they're still doing those things, having a guy like Brian Batty back there is pretty pretty crucial to have, pretty important. Even though that was pretty hypocritical, but you know, just saying, Brian Batty's very good at very good at that. Even well, we, even though a person. Even though a person like me thinks that should just be outlawed. We live in a society, right? Like if they if they outlawed it, then we'll move on with it outlawed. But well, yeah, but it's like it's, it's like me talking about how much I don't like conference expansion and being like, well, the end of divisions and the more balanced schedules are going to be, you know, better, better overall. Like, yeah, those are positives. I can be yeah, hypocritical I, I, there. I made a, I made this point on the drive when someone asked about conference expansion last week. You might have been there when when I said this, Justin. You know what? What in hindsight, and the sort of like how in NIL could have NIL could have been handled better in hindsight had conferences sort of understood what was mm-hmm. down the road. In hindsight, the conferences probably should have banded together to negotiate their television rights deals years ago 
because it would give them more leverage as five conferences and 65 teams to negotiate with any television property rather than allowing the conferences to negotiate their TV deals individually, which leads to situations where Big Ten schools get $60 million a year from their TV deal and ACC schools only get 25 or 30 and you have the conferences start to break apart because of the inequality that's that's created because football you know the the, the football championship schools aren't going to want to uh, you know aren't going to want the status quo in a situation like that had five conferences decided to negotiate together years ago i feel like there still would have been enough money for everybody involved but you also could have preserved some of the 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 obvious geographic separations mm-hmm. in the conferences and, and some of the things that uh, beyond just the top football matches, some of the reasons we have this. Instead, by sort of matching the conferences against each other, you've opened up the door for not just what we have now, but what we could have in the future. Because I keep wondering, when are the big SEC and Big Ten programs going to start pointing the finger at the places that don't compete in football and say, why are we sharing yep. our media rights deals with, with them in an equal split? Painter sent the links to the videos of the, the Brandon, the Brandon Jacobs hit. I just rewatched it again. Like it is, it is, it is like barbaric, like how, how brutal that thing is. And then the, then you have another, I do we know who has the hit on that one in the Wyoming game painter? I couldn't tell. I can listen to it real quick. Yeah. It's a hit from the Wyoming game in, in 2000, also famous for the Rudy Johnson run. Uh, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite calls uh, in a game that shouldn't have been nearly as close as it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a hit where I mean the dude's helmet flies about 20 feet in the air when he gets hit, and the quarterback. I mean that is that is the definition of a hospital ball right there, where the quarterback just. Quarterback just let him into it and said, "All right, go with God. Here we go." Like, just, just absolutely brutal. Do they say who the hit was? Not on the broadcast, but I'm trying to look. The, the footage is grainy, so now I'm trying to look at the jersey number and look trying at the roster the number. here. Mentioning Brandon Jacobs from the 2003 team, um, Auburn is going to honor a couple of uh, a couple of teams this year, right, Justin? They've they've they made some announcements about was the 2013. 93 and 83 teams mm-hmm. are going to be are going to be honored at different yep. points of the season. It's a big anniversary year for Auburn for sure. Um, and yeah, so uh, the uh, I believe the 83 game is going to be 83 team is going to be honored at the Georgia game. 93 team is going to be honored at the Ole Miss game, and the 13 team is going to be honored at the Iron Bowl, which all of them ended up kind of. I think Justin Lee pointed this out. All of them ended up making a ton of sense. You know, all those opponents were were pretty significant for those specific years. Peter, I'm looking. Is this a three or a five that we're looking at here? It is a three, which leads me to believe that that's Rashard Gilliard. Uh, Gilliard, but wow, uh, okay, yeah, it is kind of hard to tell because the other person in that, and they're both coming kind of together, is uh, T. Rob actually. Yeah, it's like it's him or T. Rob. Yeah. Dad gum. That is a that is a hit. Well, all right, folks. That does it for another episode of the podcast. We'll be back later this week. Uh Friday will be our premium podcast, I believe is what we're gonna do. Painter will not be on this podcast, uh, because he is he is gonna be on the road. Uh, but we will we'll try to line up a, a guest of some sort, uh, to be the third mic. So you just won't have to hear just me and Dan. Um so 
we'll see what we end up getting uh, the rest of the week when it terms of practice and availability and whatnot. As we're recording this, it's 4.30 now on Sunday. Not completely sure what the schedule looks like yet, but we'll see. Um, depth chart coming out on Monday morning as well. For those of your subscribers, you can check that out at the Observer. It'll be in your inboxes. And, uh, yeah, got a lot of stuff going on. It's still a good time to sign up. $4 a month or $40 a year. Just go to AuburnObserver.com and sign up there. Painter, final thoughts. Dan, your go-to peanut butter jam or jelly flavor? Um, not a big fan of fruit mm. preserves. Don't don't really like a jelly or a jam. I'm I'm wow. a uh, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm a you know what? I'll I'll take my I'll take my peanut butter uh, jam or jellyless. So Justin, uh, kick kick that question over to you. Yeah. So uh, strawberry is number one. Uh, a blackberry uh, of some kind is is a good number two. I don't like grape that much, man. I, it's the standard. I know uh, we had it a ton when I was a kid. I just don't like grape nearly as much as I like the other ones. Um, so Dan, no jelly or je- like. So if you're, it's a peanut butter sandwich. Are you going you know, banana, uh, honey? Like, are you going to do something or Because because if you do straight peanut butter sandwich, I, I I I'll eat that. Like I I appreciate that as well. But you know, some other people some other people might disagree. I will uh, d- dab a honey is uh, is is always welcome. Yeah, uh, but I I would say yeah no I'll 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 throw a and you know what toast if it's creamy peanut butter Ooh. for a little bit of a crunch uh, plain white bread if it's crunchy peanut butter because I don't want I don't want nonstop crunch like can't go can't go toast and crunchy peanut butter I mean that that's 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 crazy talk <laughs> it's, it's gonna be like it's gonna be like eating a bag of peanuts. You're going to sound like a horse. Painter, what's your answer? I'm definitely a traditionalist in this regard. I, I typically go with grape or strawberry. I, there's, I don't think that I've ever encountered one that I, I don't like, but uh, most of the time in my own fridge, it'll be grape or strawberry. Let me tell you, throw a little blackberry jam on yeah. a peanut butter sandwich. It'll, 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 change, it'll change your life if you haven't done it yet.